Hello and welcome to the Victorian Gas Lamp, the podcast shining a warm light on the 19th century and most notably throughout the reign of Her Majesty Queen Victoria. Episode 26, Mind Your Manners. If you're listening to this podcast, you no doubt have at least a passing interest in the Victorian era. At least, I hope you do. Otherwise, I might not have the podcast for you. It could go either way. And when I ask you what comes to mind when you think of the Victorian era, I'm going to guess uh, a couple of the top choices might be Queen Victoria, of course, railway lines, steam, industrial innovation, Sherlock Holmes movies, steampunk, gas lamps, well, that's a given, and also, for many of us, impeccable social manners. In any modern media representation of the era, we see characters that, regardless of their social situation that they're in, are always seeming to be unfailingly polite, even when they're trying to kill you. Think of Jared Harris's Moriarty to Robert Downey Jr.'s Sherlock Holmes, and you will know what I mean. They might be mortal enemies, but that doesn't mean you have to be rude to each other. Now, I could probably do an entire season of this podcast on just what your manners should be like in any given situation. So, for this one, I'm just going to hit some of the high spots such as they are. For those of you that have listened to my podcast on the ways to travel around London, you might recall it how chaotic the streets were. People were everywhere, but also wagons, cabs, omnibuses, and all manner of coaches. This soup on the streets meant that if you met someone you knew, well, you made sure to keep your conversations short. You might make arrangements to catch up somewhere else later on, but out here in the bustle and the stench, just say hello, inquire as to their health, a few quick words, and keep moving. If, however, you had the opportunity to be walking through one of the many gardens or parks in London, well, then you could take more time. And as an aside, when you did go out onto the streets, generally you wore darker colours, Victorian England is well known for the men wearing black suits and the women wearing darker colours. Certainly, if you were going to a private event, colours would be worn, but on the streets, dark all the way. Why? Well, I'm glad you asked, because it all came down to pollution. There was certainly no environmental controls in place in the 1800s, and the streets were filthy, and so was the air. And if you wore light colours, the city would soon see to a discolouring of your lovely clothes. And given that lighter colours were generally worn by women, that segues nicely into my first social tip. If you were a lady, and you were at home, wearing whatever you like in terms of colour, because hey, you're indoors, you were expected to be properly dressed and prepared for possible visitors between the hours of 3 and 5 p.m. You need to keep in mind that the closer the friendship, the later you could visit. Family, of course, were included in this list and could visit later as well. 
coming over for a visit before 3pm was considered impolite and borderline rude. And as a lady, when you greeted your guests, you should always have a smile, never rush, have a light step and a graceful bearing. And ladies, you need to remember, you never shake hands. You simply apply gentle pressure to acknowledge the greeting. And when you're in conversation, well, you just need to make sure that you don't get into a long argument, speak about religion, and certainly never interrupt someone who is already speaking. I would personally think that these social restrictions during this era were far greater on women than men. Uh, they certainly couldn't vote until the 20th century, for example, let alone the continuing social struggles that we see through to the modern day. But for gentlemen, when you're talking to a lady, you should be conversing on topics they are likely to be interested in. And according to the rules of the time, you could skip politics, science or commerce because, hey, why would a woman ever be interested in those, right? Yeah, <laughs> gentlemen always wore a hat so that when you met an acquaintance, you could lift your hat from your head. And if it was a woman, you made sure to use the hand that was furthest from the woman. And if you happened to be on horseback, you dismounted first. It's very impolite to force a woman to look up to converse. Now, in terms of what you wore, well, I covered that in the previous episode on men's fashion over the century. But you do need to remember that clothes should never be too well fitted. The clothes should look like they belong to the man, not the man belonging to the clothes. And in terms of social etiquette, well, when were manners anywhere more important than when at a party? One of the things I loved about their parties was that, well, they're all in the afternoon. So if you're in one of these rich social circles where these events occur, at least you get a sleep in. What they called morning parties usually began around about 2 in the afternoon and ran until around about 5 o'clock. See, we can learn a lot from this era, or at least bring back times with the afternoon being called morning. Anyway, it wasn't expected for you to be there right on 2 o'clock. You just turned up whenever you wanted, and also you could leave early as well. Pretty much everyone would attend more than one party during this time period, so you would have people coming and going from your event. The advantage was that if you were a guest, you would be able to attend a number of these events in an afternoon and no one would take offence. Sounds good to me. More parties and everyone is fine with a quick visit. These same rules applied for the evening events. Now, these started around about 9pm and ran until midnight. But while they do sound great, there are still some rules to remember. Of course there were. This was the 1800s, remember? There were rules for everything. So if you got an invitation to an event, you were expected to reply. Either accepting or declining, you wrote back thanking them for the invitation. You just didn't ghost the host like what happens on social media today. You would reply and you'd make sure that all your letters were prepaid. Get to give a shout out to last episode on postage stamps. You certainly didn't send a reply and expect the possible host to pay for the delivery of your letter as well. Letters like this would be sent on fine, thin paper, whereas your business letters would be on a thicker, more coarse paper. Because, you know, business. 
Now, not only did you get the advantage of being able to go to multiple parties in an evening, they were also expected to provide you with a supper. After all, dancing would get you hungry. Home cooking was okay, although if you were wanting to make an impression, you ordered out from one of the finer establishments around town. When you arrived at the party, it's important that you pay your respects to the lady of the house. You might be going to multiple parties in one night, but make sure you thank the host before hitting the bar, okay? And for gentlemen, well, you just can't ask any lady to dance. If you didn't know the lady that took your eye, well, you can't simply walk up to her and start chatting. Gentlemen, that's really poor form. What you need to do is approach the lady of the house or the gentleman that's been designated as master of ceremonies for the evening and have them arrange an introduction. No lady would accept an invitation to dance otherwise. So gentlemen, hot tip, go get the MC ASAP. Rules concerning meetings between men and women figured prominently in the upper classes. Women certainly couldn't visit a single man at his home, nor could she receive guests at home without someone else from the family being present. If she was being courted though, and things had progressed to the point where they could walk out together, then someone would walk with them staying nearby. The couple were not allowed to touch while walking, so none of that hands-holding stuff, thank you very much. And if there was a place where the woman needed assistance with stepping over something, well, that was okay. If a lady was stepping across a street, though, and she needed to raise her skirts, she could only use her right hand, drawing her skirts to the right. You could only use the one hand, because if you did go and use both hands you risked exposing too much ankle to those around you, and that was considered extremely inappropriate for a lady. It was an era that was incredibly restrictive for women in many ways, but the men had many rules to follow as well. They were expected to be ever attentive to ladies and their needs, putting aside their own if required. Men should always show respect to their elders and tip their hat to greet a lady. Also, if you were walking side by side, the gentleman always walked on the outside and he also always holds open the door. But getting back to the party. After dancing and you're wanting to leave, another great thing about this era, you didn't have to find the lady of the house to say goodbye. You'd just leave discreetly. And like I said, I think the Victorians had this party thing totally nailed. But that worked when you were among the rich and famous. What etiquette was there needed when you weren't among the idle rich? Well, if you had a profession, say a doctor, a schoolmaster, priest or nurse, you were almost upper class, but not quite. After all, you have to work. Having the title might mean something, and if you also knew the right people, you might spend some time amongst the rich. This was especially true if you flaunted what wealth you had. A fine home, especially having multiple servants, well, that just spoke of you being better than others. 
so you had more of a chance to meet those that some would say were your <coughs> betters. Just remember that in day-to-day -day affairs, using the terms ma'am or sir were of critical importance. Unless you were part of the upper levels of society, you needed to know your place. For the lower classes, well, the upper classes might have known you existed, but that was about it. They were invisible, beneath the attention of the upper class. Certainly their skills and work were needed, and someone needed to clean out the chimneys or catch the rats, but they were employed by the house staff, certainly not face to face. Etiquette really wasn't a thing for them, they were barely surviving with the meagre food that they could scrape together. But there were a few rules that we could all follow back then, well at least to the best of our abilities and economic status at the time. If you wished to be respected within society, keep clean. Most importantly is your hygiene, so you made sure to bath as often as you could, and keeping your clothing clean too. Pay particular attention to your nails and teeth. They're readily visible to anyone and are a quick indicator as to your hygiene. It was considered proper social behaviour to be gentle and patient at all times. Being angry or acting in anger was considered rude and socially unacceptable. Be pleasant in your conversation and always remember to say kind things. And importantly, be aware of meddlers and talebearers. Well, now we're in the 21st century and a number of generations from this time period, but I'm sure that you can agree with me that in our world of trolling and persecutorial social media, I think there's something in there for all of us, every day. So if you're listening to this and we're this many episodes in, you know I kind of like my trivia and odd little facts about living in this century. And in looking at etiquette, well, it only takes about five minutes of searching to find out all sorts of fun little oddities. One of my favourites was known as the calling card. These days we just update our status on social media. I'm sure most of us have seen posts from people declaring where they are or where they're travelling to. But back in the day, if you had arrived in town and knew people there, what you would do is travel around in your carriage and have a servant drop off your calling card at a friend's house, letting them know that you are back in town and available for social meetings. Why the servant? Well, mainly because for the women, their dresses were so big with the skirts that getting in and out of a carriage was a terrible inconvenience they didn't really need to experience. This tradition started in France and was a trend that went viral amongst Victorian England society. And like all things social in the upper classes, you guessed it, the rules were very well defined. The lady of the house would do the rounds, dropping off a card for their husband to be given to the master of the house and two of her own, one for the master and one for the lady of the house. A lady might even bring a card for each of their unmarried daughters, letting potential suitors know of the young ladies available for social events. I do find that one particularly amusing. I have two daughters, and I really can't see myself leaving cards at friends' houses, letting them know that my girls are up for a party. Now, these cards would obviously have your name on them, and on the back you might write details as to when you're available for visitors. 
The calligraphy would be ornate and stylish, naturally, and in some houses, calling cards from prominent or famous people might be displayed as a way to impress others as to the people you know. These cards could be basic styling with just nice writing, but many people made incredibly ornate designs, embossing and artwork included. I'll be posting a few of these up on Instagram over the next couple of weeks, and they can be really amazing. It's quite impressive. Naturally, there were some people that took it to the next level, as there always are. Cards were embossed, coloured and shaped in a variety of ways. And while calling cards between men remained small and neat to fit into a breast pocket, ladies' cards were often larger and even had a special case to be carried in. And another fact of upper society was that men generally married women a great deal younger than them. It wasn't just something that we see in the movies today. As a guide, half the man's age, plus seven years, was roughly the, apparently, ideal. So a 30-year-old man would ideally find someone around 22. A 40-year-old man would be looking for a woman of around 27. Okay. But if you did declare your love for a woman and she was amenable to this, the two of you would then not see each other for a while. This is because there was a period before the wedding where the man had to ask the woman's father for her hand in marriage and then the two of them would have to sort out the financial matters. How much money he had, how much money she herself brought to the marriage. The woman would get a portion of the money for herself, but that was put into a trust and the interest from this money went to her husband, not her and not the investment. And who you were meant to marry was determined by your physicality also. If you had red hair or reddish skin, you were considered to be hot-tempered. As such, you were to make an effort to find a spouse that was calmer and more laid-back than you. Big shout-out to all you redheads out there, you angry lot. <laughs> Taking that sort of attitude towards spousal choices, if you had a long, thin face, you were to find someone with a more rounded face. And a talkative person should look for someone quieter. So, while these days they say opposites attract, back in Victorian England, it was really an important part of the social structure. Oh, and pro tip, never, ever marry someone with the same eye colour. God forbid. In terms of daily social interactions, women were not allowed to raise their voices. It's considered unseemly to be loud or uncouth in society. And while men could raise their voices, they could never swear in mixed company. So keep your language clean, gentlemen. Also, even if you were husband and wife, out in public you would use the surnames and Mr or Mrs as needs be. It was considered disrespectful to use their first names in public. Women should walk with what 19th century social advisor Emily Thornwell called a modest and measured gait. Women should never be seen walking quickly or with purpose. It implies that they had places to be. And while these days I guess it might be transposed with vaping, in Victorian England many men smoked but never in front of the women. This is where you might have seen from films where the men retire to another room to have 
smokes or cigarettes and cigars while the women are left behind. Also, it was considered impolite to smell of smoke to your wife as well, so men would wear a separate coat for when they smoked. And this is where we get the idea of what used to be known as a smoking jacket. Another aspect to after-dinner comfort was the ubiquitous armchair. I'm sure that we're all familiar with the Victorian-era image of a gentleman enjoying his brandy and a cigar in a rich, luxurious, high-backed armchair that exudes class, privilege and wealth. And these were the style of chairs that a Victorian gentleman enjoyed during the evenings after a social gathering. But what of the ladies at the very same party? Well, for those ladies listening, sorry, but your chair would not have had arms at all, and they were all straight back. Your chairs were not built for comfort, but made to simply give a lady somewhere to sit down. This certainly seems very biased in all sorts of ways, but then again, we do need to consider the fact that a Victorian lady wore a very tightly laced corset and trying to sit back and relax was really never going to be an option to begin with. So on the note of gender-based seating, I'm going to leave it there for this episode. Like so much of this era, I'm sure that I'll be revisiting social etiquette at later points, but what I wanted to do was give you some idea of the many restrictions that permeated Victorian era society, as well as the very strict gender roles that might seem a little odd these days. Anyway, here in the episode, you can find me at victoriangaslamp.com. My contact details are on there as well. If you could follow me on Twitter, that'd be great, at VicGaslamp, and more importantly, on Instagram, where I post history facts and trivia, as well as photos related to the episodes, and I'm VictorianGaslamp there as well. The next episode will be out in two weeks, so keep a lookout for that, and I'll see you next time under the gas lamp.